Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known. The gospel lesson for today is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This can be found on page 959 of your Pew Bible. Joseph receives the scandalous news that Mary, whom he has not yet married, is expecting a child and considers how to end their engagement without disgracing her. However, he is given a dream in which an angel of the Lord informs him that the child was conceived not in adultery, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and is the promised Messiah who will save the people from their sin. A reading from Matthew chapter 1, beginning with the 18th verse. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Have you ever made a monumentally bad decision in life? Like maybe right after doing it, or years later, you thought to yourself, wow, that one really took the cake. Well, if so, you're in good company because I have too. And believe it or not, I belong to an organization. It's slightly larger than Stanwich Church. It's called the U.S. Army. And it's made up of a demographic of people that are not known for making great decisions, aka young people. And in my career in the Army, I've seen countless numbers of poor decisions made. Just one example, while I was deployed, we had a soldier on base decide one evening that he was going to grab a tactical vehicle, and he was going to take it for a joyride. His only oversight is the joyride happened on the border of two sovereign nations, that is Kuwait and Saudi Arabia, and he happened to drive over the Saudi border. Let's just say the Saudis weren't too pleased, and his commander was even less. I remember oftentimes after poor decisions were made in my unit, I would watch as my commander would sit down with the soldier in question. And he'd say something like this, son, everything happens for a reason. And sometimes that reason is you're stupid and you make bad decisions. By the way, this is one of the nicer things he would say in the midst of that conversation. And this is funny, but if we're honest with ourselves, 
We've all been like these young soldiers, at least at some point in life, where we've made a decision that we all deeply regret. And our story this morning (laughs) picks up with a scenario that presents itself like a bad decision. And I believe in the main character's response, Joseph, what we're going to see is just how we as Christians are called to respond to those that make bad decisions that directly affect our lives. Joseph, the main character in our text, he's presented with a circumstance. His betrothed Mary is pregnant, and all he knows is that the baby is not his. Remember, Joseph, he didn't have the hindsight that we have. You and I, we all know that Mary, she was chosen for a very specific task, an incredibly important task. But Joseph, he had no idea. For all he knew, Mary had made a bad decision that had directly affected him. And I believe in his response, what we're going to see is just how we are called to respond to those that make bad decisions that affect us. But before we dive into the gospel of Matthew this morning, I want to set up the passage well for us. Whether you know it or not, it's kind of interesting. The gospel authors, when they sat down to pen their gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all had a different audience in mind. Mark, he was writing specifically to a Roman audience. We know this because Mark, he uses the most Latin words in the entire New Testament. And it's the shortest gospel. And he's also very focused on action. About every 10th word in the gospel of Mark is translated as immediately in English. And it's the Greek word euthus. And this is because the Romans, they wanted the action and they wanted you to get to the point. Luke, he writes to a little broader Gentile audience. He writes to Greeks and Romans. And Luke is a doctor, and he knows that Greeks are very concerned with details. They want the nitty-gritty. And so when you read Luke and Acts, what you get is you get a very detailed account from the birth of Jesus all the way to the beginning of the early church. John, the last gospel written, was written to the broadest audience in the ancient world. John, he's writing to ancient Jews, Greeks, Romans, Samaritans, and beyond. This is why I suggest that the gospel of John be read first by new Christians, because it's the easiest for us, I think, to understand. But Mark, he's writing, or Matthew is writing to a very specific target audience, a small audience, and that is ancient Jews. Matthew is writing to the ancient Jewish audience to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is who he claims to be. And we know this because Matthew, he references the Old Testament more than any other gospel. And we see this actually right in the onset of Matthew chapter 1, this ancient Jewish audience, because in the short genealogy preceding our text today, it's actually written differently than the other genealogies in the New Testament. It's written in traditional Jewish legal order. And it focuses on who the first century Jewish audience would have cared about most. And that is Jesus' legal father, Joseph. You see, they wanted to know who Joseph was 
because they needed to know the line of Jesus to see if he actually was the Messiah. And in the first century, the Jews, they were actually so obsessed with genealogies that we know because of the ancient Roman historian Tacitus that they kept all the genealogies in the temple. And this drove their leader at the time nuts. His name is Herod. This drove Herod a little crazy because he was an Edomite. That means he was a descendant of Esau and nobody respected him. And one day Herod was so frustrated with this that he went into the temple and he burned all the genealogies. He burned them all so that nobody could prove who fathered who. So keep this in mind. This is the original audience to this text. So therefore, what is Matthew trying to convey to the original audience? And then the question after, what does he want to convey to us today? So I want us to read this text with fresh eyes as we dive in, because I think in Joseph's response, what we're going to see is a small picture of the gospel. And that's that we show grace to others because we've had divine intervention and because we've been shown grace in Christ Jesus. So let's dive in and take a look at that. Starting in verse 18, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Remember, Joseph, he's a first century Orthodox Jewish man, and he is betrothed. Friends, this means he's all in. This means he's paid the bride price to Mary's family or a dowry. This was a huge sum of assets to pay for his bride. This also means that he's gone now to his father's house and he's building a room onto that house for he and Mary to move into after their wedding day. And as Joseph is getting all the preparations together for the joy of marriage, he finds out something scandalous, that Mary is pregnant. Now, the text isn't clear. We're not sure if she just said, Joseph, I'm pregnant, or if he noticed that she was growing. But what does seem to be clear is either she didn't tell him or he didn't believe how. And you can't really blame her if she didn't tell him. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph walking one day in the cool breeze of Nazareth and her turning to him and saying, Joseph, I just need you to know I'm pregnant and the Holy Spirit's the father. It's like, good one, Mary. Yeah, right. So all Joseph knows is that she's pregnant and that this child is not his. And he's holding on to the fallout from what seems to be an incredibly bad decision. It's as if Mary has blown up her own life and by periphery, his. And then he starts to mull over this news. And he starts to think about how he should respond. And it says in the text right here, being a just man. Remember the original audience of this passage, being a just man. Matthew wants the original audience to know that Joseph wanted to follow God's law. And knowing this, Joseph and the original audience would have known right away, 
Deuteronomy chapter 22. Joseph, he has two options, two ways he can respond to Mary. Option number one is what Deuteronomy 22 first calls for in response to a situation of adultery. And that would be for Mary's public execution. That would be for Mary to be stoned. This would mean death for Mary and the child. And then option number two, found a little later in Deuteronomy 22, he could choose to divorce her. And I can just imagine Joseph in his context really struggling with this decision. Because on one hand, if he chooses option number one, all of the shame goes on Mary. It's all her fault. It's actually the easy way out for him. He'd be able to remarry later down the road. He wouldn't have a divorce in his past. But as he's mulling over the decision, what seems to be clear is that he loved Mary and he didn't want to see harm happen to her or the child. And so he resolves to pick option number two. Instead of publicly putting all of this on her, he's going to share the fallout. He's going to absorb some of the shame himself. You see, if he chooses option number two and he divorces her, this means now he'll have a divorce in his past. And it means in Nazareth, it would have been highly unlikely for him to get married in the future. But he resolves to pick this harder option because he knows that this will mean survival for Mary and the child. And I think this is a word for some of us in the room this morning because some of us have had people in our lives make some bad decisions. Maybe you feel like you've had somebody in your life that's blown it up. And maybe you want to see that person publicly humiliated or maybe you are that person. Maybe you're the one that caused the fallout. Maybe you blew up somebody's life. And so my question for those of us that feel that way is what does God have to say about it? What does God have to say to us? How does he call us to respond? And what we see right here in the text is that God presents Joseph with a third option, an option that he didn't think of himself. And that's the option to take Mary as his wife and to absorb most of the shame. What I find interesting about God's option for Joseph is it's the one that costs him the most. And we'll see this in his life. God calls Joseph and us to show grace. So let's take a look at that in verse 20. This is the intervention from God to Joseph. God, the angel shows up and it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There's some interesting things going on in the Greek here in verse 20. The word translated into English considered, it's actually unique in the entire Greek New Testament. This is the only time this word's used. And it means something like this, being in a fervent state or condition of thought about something. So Joseph, he's going, he's mulling over this decision and he's thinking about what to do. 
And as he's fervently in thought about this decision, he realizes this is going to be hard. And actually, the root of this Greek word, it has to do with evil and absorbing evil. It's as if Joseph, he's presented with this circumstance that is seemingly evil. And instead of running away, he's choosing rather to lean in. Instead of taking the easy way out, he's choosing to show grace. It's as if he's standing in front of a burning building. The building is on fire. And he could turn his back and run. Or he could run in. And he's choosing to run in. And we've all experienced situations in life like this, where someone has made a decision that's blown up our lives. And we have to make the hard choice. Am I going to run? Or am I going to lean in? And am I going to show this person grace? I've experienced this countless times in army chaplaincy. If I was to summarize chaplaincy in two words, it's crisis ministry. It's funny, nobody needs a chaplain until there's a crisis, and then they'll find you. They will find you. I had a situation a few months ago like this where I was in my kitchen cooking dinner, and I received a call from my commander about a situation involving a soldier that I knew well. And I remember in that moment going into my bedroom and falling on my knees before the Lord and just crying out, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And then I picked myself up and I went and I ministered to this family. And friends, this is the cost of showing grace to others. You see, in order to show grace to a broken and suffering world, it always takes self-sacrifice. It always takes running into the burning building. And that's what Joseph is choosing to do here in this moment. And as he's leaning into the evil, something miraculous happens. An angel appears to him in a dream. And the angel says, Joseph, son of David. Remember, David's incredibly important to this original audience. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here's what I find interesting about this text. Joseph, he's already leaning in to choose the harder of the two options. And God reveals, no, Joseph, you're going to pick a third option. And it's going to be the hardest one. And I think what this reveals to us is not necessarily that this text is about Joseph. It's easy to make him the hero, but it's really about God and what God is calling us to do. You see, what I find interesting about Joseph is he's a just man, he's a holy man, but it took divine intervention. It took God speaking to him specifically to make it to this third option. And friends, it takes divine intervention for us to make it to this third option. But what I do love about Joseph is as soon as God speaks, he's obedient. And as far as we know, Joseph would be obedient until his death. And this obedience, it cost him. A little later in Matthew, he's going to have to flee and leave everything to go to Egypt to protect this woman and this baby that's not his. Later in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, 
we see his obedience as well. He takes Mary on a journey for the Roman census, and he goes to his hometown in Bethlehem. What I find so interesting about this story is the Romans, they didn't count women. They didn't care about women. Not only that, but Mary is nine months pregnant. Have you ever wondered, why is Joseph taking his nine-month pregnant wife on a journey on a donkey for miles? Why would he do this? Well, he's doing it to protect Mary. You see, because the community of Nazareth, they would have known. They would have known that this child was not conceived by him. They knew that this child wasn't his. And I imagine there were probably some men in that town that weren't too happy with his option to show Mary grace. But in order to protect her, he lovingly brings his wife with him to keep her and the baby safe. You see, here's what's so interesting about this third option, friends, is it's the one that costs the most. And I'm not here to mince words with you this morning. This option that God presents us with, it's not easy. But if you're a Christian, it's what you've signed up for. And right now in this moment is probably when you're thinking, well, pastor, you know, I've been wronged. I've been betrayed. And you don't know the extent. And you're right, I don't. But God does. And his call remains the same. And maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, Joseph had an angel. If I only had an angel come to me and tell me to forgive so-and-so, I would do it right away. (laughs) Well, friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, like Joseph, you have had divine intervention. And arguably, you've had better divine intervention than he had. Because friends, you have this. That divine intervention, it's sitting on your lap right now. It's called the Bible. This is God's word. And God's word says a few things about this topic. It says, always forgive. It says, always let your speech be gracious. You see, friends, we do know God's will. And arguably, we know God's will better than even Joseph did. So how can we live into this hard calling then? How can we rise to the challenge How can we run into the burning building? I mean, is it even humanly possible? Well, what we see last in the passage is ultimately our ability to do so, to show grace and forgive, is rooted in the fact that we've been shown grace and that we've been forgiven. Let's look at that in verse 21. It says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. I love this moment in the dream because Joseph, he's this first century Orthodox Jewish man, and he's been waiting He's been waiting with the people of Israel for a Messiah. And as he's waiting for the Messiah, God speaks to him in a way he would understand. God reminds him of this verse he would have known well in Isaiah chapter 7, 14. And the angel says, Joseph, this child, he's the one. 
He's the answer. He's the one that'll set you free. And right off the bat from Jesus' conception, we see his person and work, that he's fully God, Emmanuel, and that he will save us from our sins. The name Jesus, it's actually a Greek transliteration of a Hebrew name, Joshua. And Joshua in Hebrew, it's just two Hebrew words combined. Yahu, God, Shua, saves. But what I love about Jesus is unlike Joshua, he's not delivering the people of Israel from the wilderness into a geographical promised land. No, he's doing something much greater. He's delivering us from our sin so that we can fully be in relationship with the Father. And how did Jesus do this? Well, he did it like Joseph, at great cost to himself. There's a moment later in the New Testament where we get a picture into this cost of what Jesus did. It's found in John chapter 8. It's where Jesus encounters a situation similar to that of Mary, except it's the real deal. Some religious leaders, they bring a woman before him that's been caught in adultery. And they knew, and Jesus knew Deuteronomy chapter 22. They knew what the law called for. And yet there's a surprise in the text. And that's that Jesus, he forgives her. Have you ever wondered how Jesus, the one who perfectly kept the law, didn't follow the law in this place? Have you ever wondered how he was able to do that? Well, friends, it's because he knew that he would later be publicly executed in her place. It's because he knew that he would take on her sin. And not only would he do that for her, but that's what he did for us. You see, as far as Jesus is concerned, it was all about showing us grace. It was all about showing us forgiveness. And that's what Advent is all about. Jesus, the king of the universe, he stepped off the throne to show you and me grace. Jesus was born a helpless child to show us grace. Jesus suffered and was beaten and spit on to show us grace. Jesus was publicly executed and humiliated on the cross to show us grace. You see, friends, he was publicly executed so that we don't have to be. And some of us have received that forgiveness. We know what that's like. We know what it's like to experience that grace and that freedom. And we've received that gift. And yet we're failing to share it. Maybe you've been holding on to bitterness for some time. Maybe you've had someone blow up your life. Friends, the Bible is clear. God is calling you to show that person grace. He's calling you to enter into the evil and to forgive. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's an ex. Maybe it's a parent or a child or a friend. And for those who aren't quite sure, I just want to give us a moment 
to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us who it is that God is calling us to show grace to. So everyone, let's go before the Lord in prayer for just a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to do so. Heavenly Father, reveal to us who it is we need to forgive. Lord, reveal to us who we need to show grace to. Can you picture that person now? Maybe you can see their face. Now I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, Give me the strength to forgive. Lord Jesus, give me the strength to show grace. Lord Jesus, would you bless this person in their life? And Lord Jesus, when I don't have the strength, Shift my eyes to you, the one who does. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.